0: City limits. City limits
1: brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at nine
2: A.M.
0: City Limits is Melbourne's only are devoted to our urban environment.
2: To transport and planning and housing issues.
0: To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City limits. limits. Okay, on the air, and uh, Meg Kimber over there desperately trying to swallow a mouthful of croissant at breakfast before uh, well, she comes to air. There you are.
1: You know, I guess I, we could have just waited another couple of minutes and I could we have could just have. demolished that croissant.
0: Yeah, you, could, well, you were anyway, I thought. Well, I
1: pretty
2: much was.
0: But... I was worrying for the paper bag. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I'm I Kim... ate a little bit of that as well. All oh, right, okay, I'm Kevin Healy, and uh, sometimes at night, of course, you do eat the glass when you have a drink as well, when you're so desperate, <laughs> but that's another question. Um, this is a different thing. And it's the fourth Wednesday. The month, so we have no specific subject today, but in fact, we're going to be talking about climate change and we're going to be talking about um, housing and related issues, planning issues. And Mark Allen's just walked into the studio, which is, which is good because he said he'd be here about now, and he is. It's amazing. Uh, Mark, of course, a former co presenter of this program, but he's coming to talk about some climate issues. And I'll put everyone want a cup of tea? Yes, thanks, Kevin. All yeses, okay. I'll just send anyway, you, I won't, I won't put it there's one two, three, and i work my way back, uno, due, I'll start talking Italian to show how clever I am, Trey, there we are, um, <laughs> and um, okay, so we're going to be talking about, uh, Mark, you, you are going to talk about climate issues, aren't you? Uh, Hello. Population, climate, all that sort Yeah, of that. all
2: that kind of thing. There's oh. plenty I could rant on about. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see where the conversation
0: goes, right. planning
2: and climate. Well, and it's
0: been overnight or in the last couple of days there has been the World uh, UN's come out with a report that shows that we're miles behind if we're going to meet the Paris commitments and Australia got a big serve in that one, but... Uh,
2: Yes, indeed. And even if we meet the Paris uh, commitments, we're still in big trouble. So don't need to make it more bleak for
0: you. No, that's right. We'll we'll get on to that. Um, But I thought the best headline of the week was in the Financial Review. It's in a story by Curran Maley about the the worst PAC situation. And the headline Mm -hmm. is West PAC does the impossible, lowers banks' reputation more. (laughs) 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 That's a good headline. I like that one. Uh, which I did like. <laughs> uh, Not a hint of irony in that, <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to have a sip of tea now. Thank you for Ooh. the tea, by the way. That was a sip of irony. Um, and um, I just thought we'd read out the... Because the, up till... In fact, on Monday... Um, the the CEO or the 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 chairman of uh, Worst Pack, Lindsay Maxted, said Brian Hart's position would have to be looked at, but he didn't mention his own. And I thought, well, hang on, but you're the you're the chairman, surely you must bear some responsibility. Anyway, by yesterday they'd both gone, although Lindsay won't go till next year. Sometime he's stretching it out. Uh, but I just thought I'd mention them. Lindsay, of course, is he's ex KPMG and all that sort of stuff. He's he's involved in boards all over the place. He gets six hundred and sixty-eight grand a year, at least six sixty-nine, hmm. for just chairing meetings, turning up occasionally. I feel um, like I could do that job. Yes, the others on it. I mean, Hartzer himself gets five something million. The bloke who's going to be acting in his position, Peter King, is he's, he's currently the chief financial officer. He gets two and a half mil, but that'll go up now, I guess. The rest of them, Ewan Crouch is chairman of the risk committee, Well, he did a terrific job. Um, <laughs> he's the, the the former Allen's chairman and he gets 343 for sitting there, 344, Lindsay himself. Narita Caesar is a director since September 17. She's former CEO of Equifax and Vita. She gets 253. Alison Deans, who is former CEO of eCorp, Corp, Hoyts and Ebay, gets 297. Craig Dunn, director since 2015, CEO of AMP, he gets 296. Anita Fung, who's a former CEO at HSBC in Hong Kong, gets 322. Stephen Harker, the former CEO of Morgan Stanley, gets 135. Peter Marriott, director, um, he's former CFO of ANZ, he gets 323. Peter Nash, former KPMG head of audit, 265 and Margaret Seal, former MD of Random House, 136. So they're the people who um, who are responsible. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Nice little bunch.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of money.
0: It is a lot of money. Not, yeah. I feel as
1: though <laughs> I've gone wrong in life. No, <laughs> no, I'm only
0: joking. <laughs> for, for I just think
2: a
1: after a certain amount of money, you really don't need anymore. more. You, you, really you really don't.
0: don't you really don't. You don't You really don't. No, yeah. on those boards and things. I, I was on the roads... Whatever it was called, board at one stage here in in Victoria was the local government representative. It oh, yeah. was a state body, and w- then you were paid for the meetings, which is incredible. Mm. Mm. And I, I, um, and we met. What, we met half a day a month effectively. They mm. meet for half a day, then have this big lavish lunch, and I wouldn't go to the lunch. I'd I'd just go go off back. But but because I was then working for a federal MP, I was deemed to be a servant of the crown, so I didn't get paid. But all these people from the big companies that were there, and the big mm. trucking companies and all the rest in the, involved in the road industry, mm. were getting paid for going yeah. to half a day a week. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's just bloody ridiculous. But anyway, the Herald Sun's come up with another big one. This is, this one is one of the usual Herald Sun stories, but it's classic. This oh, it's another. It's typical. Uh, Former Miss Universe Australia, Francesca Hung, is already party season planning. Isn't that wonderful? Mm, Well, me too. Um, The model is embracing the holiday spirit. She has just shot the, and then there's a lingerie company mentioned, Christmas campaign. There's a photo of her in one of the bras which launched yesterday. This time of year is so special, and this campaign is about celebrating the season, spending time with family, parties and catch-ups with friends, she said. There's something for every woman out there. The pieces in this campaign are fun and vibrant, and I love how I feel when I wear them. We all want to feel great. Hung last year's Miss Universe, handed over the crown to someone else, a lawyer from Victoria, but there you are. Now, that's not an ad, is it?
1: No. Definitely not.
0: And really. I, and I, but I've, as a male, and you in the same boat here, Mark, we, we cannot therefore enjoy celebrating the season, spending time with family, because we can't buy, we're not likely to buy anything at this lingerie shop, and we won't feel comfortable wearing them because we won't be wearing them. Mm.
2: I have to admit, it's not my, my main aim <coughs> to get no. some lingerie this
0: Christmas. <laughs> no, no. no. But um, without that obviously if you're you read not, that
1: yeah you're not enjoying the christmas not enjoying
0: the christmas spirit, uh, not enjoying it no no, no we're so we're all in trouble here I think we are yeah, yeah. in real trouble um, on a very serious note um, let's see the u s has decided to uh, to recognize the Israeli settlements as legal and not illegal which is just hardly wonderful. surprising no, hardly surprising but and pompeo um, said that um, it was that um he told reporters the Trump administration believes any legal questions about settlements should be resolved by Israeli courts, and they distract from larger efforts to negotiate a peace deal. Well, I would have thought the Ooh. biggest barrier to a peace deal is the settlements, but that's well one of the biggest barriers anyway. Apart from the fact that Israel doesn't yeah. want it, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, so you you ask the Israeli courts to settle whether Israel is legal in occupying other people's countries. Is that, is that the way? It is? is that the solution? Yeah.
1: Wow. It's
0: going well, isn't it? Going real well. On that same man, um, not Pompeo, his his boss, um, whom he kowtows to, um, the chief of the US Navy yesterday criticised Trump after being sacked in a dispute over a SEAL commander, etc. Now, uh, this this bloke resigned, at least with some principle, Mm. because, in fact, a disciplinary mob had found this bloke guilty of war crimes, uh, and um, he was um, he was demoted, etc. Much of, it's great, isn't it? You go from whatever to whatever the next rank down, then work your way back to it. But that's beside the point. But Trump has overthrown it; he reversed the demotion, handed down, etc., and um, overthrew the decision of the of the board. And and so uh, this bloke at least resigned. But here's Trump condoning war crimes, of course, which brings us to our our mother country. And just this week, ministers have denied a cover-up of alleged war crimes involving the torture and murder of civilians by British soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. Military detectives have reportedly investigated a 2012 SAS raid in Helmand province. They're the ones who try and kill with a little finger, etc. Of course, they're wonderful people, um, where three unarmed children and a young man was shot dead, as well as the alleged daily abuse of prisoners by the Black Watch Regiment in Basra, and the total shooting of an Iraqi policeman in 03. And the story goes on, but of course, the, um, it's a, it was exposed by a BBC Panorama program, uh, and the government, of course, is denying it all, but uh, here we are mm. again with war crimes, and I think, you know, the fact that we were there in the first place, I heard... I heard Blair coming out, you know, virtually denouncing the Labor Party this morning um, and, uh, and saying neither party's any good in Britain at the moment, that sort of line. But he's a man who himself was a war criminal, I would have thought. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, people are still talking to him and letting him have a, have a say in something. Mm. yeah. The other Herald son, that was a great comment. The <laughs> other Herald's, <Sun, laughs> the other Herald son uh, piece this week, it's been really blowing up this thing out at, uh, out at the uh, Casey Council about so called um, corruption with a developer, and certain councillors. But it's interesting because the councillors they mention only occasionally, only once I think, because he was a Liberal candidate and he got supported by the developer. Had they did they have to mention it with with Ablett, one of the two ex footballer, but. Um, uh, the other two are prominent members of the Liberal Party, but at no point do they mention that. And yet when they came around to mentioning anyone in the Labor Party, the party's name gets mentioned every time and prominently. Mm. Um, and so um, there's a whole section here about the Labor Party and people there and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The developer saying Labor Party conduct, I'm not sure of the exact terminology and opportunity for business people in 15 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And so they're now building up to attacking the Labor Party over something that emanates from corruption that would seem to involve if there is corruption, which is alleged at this stage, I guess, um, involves mm. Liberal councillors. But the word Liberal rarely gets mentioned mm. in their stories. But Labor turn up and it's mentioned every... Not that I want to defend this government, but it's just the total mm. bias is unbelievable. Um, yeah, and that is not
2: surprising at all. That's, that's to be expected. Yeah, it's uh, quite depressing, really.
0: Yeah. The the other story, of course, that's been floating around and really taking over is the whole eighty chinese thing going on, and it's just extraordinary. I mean, we've got our yeah. biggest trading partner and again I don't want to become a just for China necessarily but but the the one the one-sided coverage given given mm. that no one else and then we have, well, I think we can all go back to the the usual the US etc but also other countries who invest here who have an influence here uh, and I think it would be difficult to suggest the u s doesn 't um, if it doesn 't spy it certainly has a lot of say in what we do here and understanding of what we do here mm. sure uh, but as soon as China does something then it 's uh, off they go mm. and, uh, and the U.S. is even now in, the, in their own parliament and their own Congress have passed a bill threatening China over the Hong Kong situation, um, mm. which you know they're probably behind in some ways as well. Again, mm. um, did you
1: say the U.S. have passed a bill? Yeah, in, about in Hong con- Kong.
0: Congress has passed a bill um, threatening China if it if it if it doesn't um, well, if it doesn't. I don't know what it's supposed to do, but uh, mm. if it doesn't anyway, do it. Uh, What they can threaten, I don't know, I suppose, is only more trade sanctions unless they want to send an army and that would be a bit risky.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, it's pretty tense between America and... But
0: it's so one... Yeah, Mm. and so just... Well, it's tense between them and and us because we're just following the Americans... Mm and it's just ridiculous i mean we there are some sensible people saying we have to work out the way the relationship works and it, you know they are and they keep using of course the fact that people are controlled by the communist party of china you know <laughs> because it runs the show but of course it's communist party in name i mean it's it's a bigger capitalist country than we are for mm. god's sake
1: yeah and by
0: 2030 people are now predicting it's going to be the biggest economy in the world mm. yeah um, and it, you know, to suggest it's a communist society is is a joke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm.
2: Um, but it yeah. it works for the neoliberals to keep maintaining that that sort of pretense that you know communism
0: is an, a and bad thing. A bad thing, you know, necessarily. You know, so yeah. Well, there's even one that's written by. Um, by a bloke, America. This comes out of America. This particular piece, but the headline is "Time to push back on China bullying." You know, a China bullying. For Christ's sake, the United States. What? What are we sanctions if not bullying people anyway, all over the place? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's, I mean, the U.S. government. Um, you know, uh, like there's there's a war. Practicing, you know, they they have their army on on Australian soil, and mm. um, you know, there's all, and just even culturally, like, sure, and business wise, like, all so many of the businesses that Australians give heaps of their money to, like, Amazon, for example, mm. or Facebook, or Google, or whatever, you know, like whoever's sort of harvesting our attention or our money mm. one way or another, are heaps, heap, most of them are American. Like, Absolutely. If, imagine if they were. Chinese, like, yeah. it would be inconceivable, indeed, yeah, indeed, um, but yeah. it's completely normal and um, and just the status quo. But yep. no, no one's examining it in that way. Like, is this is this a government that we want to follow? Like, mm. and have uh, having this like huge influence on our our society and our communities? Like, it's a good question to ask. But it's just already happened with America mm, that, that we're mm. going down that path of neoliberalism and and trickle down economies and. Yeah, there's huge gap between the rich and the poor.
0: That's right, and there's yeah. obviously a difference also between good people doing it and bad people doing it. Like they, they now criticise China for attempting to spy on Australia or even put someone <coughs> into parliament, for God's sake. Um, so apparently it was OK for us to bug, for instance, the... Um, the the cabinet room in East Timor, yeah. mm, um, mm. it was all right for the US to bug um, to bug Angela Merkel's uh, office mm. in, in Germany. That was that was good mm. apparently, and that was, yeah. that, was for, that was for the cause of liberty, freedom, and democracy, <laughs> so. and, and that makes it all right. Oh, the yeah. American <laughs> accents out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, we'll be out from honour <laughs>
0: after that ridiculous reaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to top up. I never want to top up a tea here at all. No, no thank you. Oh, go on. Why not? Okay. What all are right. we
1: drinking today, Kevin? We're
0: drinking straight jasmine today. Thank you. Know? you. It's very but nice. Because right. I cleared it out last week to go Cheers. to the market, I think it was, to go shopping. I took them out of my bag <laughs> where I normally keep them, and only at the last minute I thought, hang on, there's no tea in that bag. I better – so I grabbed some jasmine. <laughs> um there's also a story this week, and again, quite serious story about vaping, and I think we all question mark vaping as you know the so-called answer to nicotine addiction, but of course they're putting nicotine in them. Yeah, um, it's it's not legal, but it's going in there anyway. And, I thought uh, it
1: was for nicotine, isn't it? To isn't it an, like a way to get? Yeah, but they
0: but these alternative things in there, but they oh. but they but they they they're using nicotine, which they're getting from um, underground way. Um, the extent of child nicotine poisoning is likely to be much higher with other cases taken directly to et etc. Because kids are really being affected by it, um, and they're making the point that um, that. Uh, while standard pre-packaging vaping liquids are, be, are between 0.06% to 0.38% nicotine, there have been seven Victorian poisoning cases where nicotine has been 10% or above, more than 26 times the usual concentration. And kids are getting poisoned because people are leaving them around and the kids are playing with the you know, the, the, the liquid that's mm. in them the, mm. and the vaping <coughs> material. And, and, and so you know, really it, it just should be banned, but of course they won't ban it at all. They'll just it's go big on. business now. I think it mm. is. It is. Yeah. Um, I thought the the most optimistic thing the new the new head of uh, the business council, um, a bloke called Tim Reed, and he he wrote a headline in which uh, he wrote a story in which the headline is "The Strategy to Rebuild Public Trust in Business." Well, I don't like his chances much. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> <what> it <laughs> do it. Tr- you can try it. Um, and And just as an interesting story I'll, and then we 'll go to you mark as we 're moving on um, but um, <clears throat> there 's also uh, an attempt to, to to cut back the 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 amount of work or at least not the amount of work, but the week the, the weekly work um, load in the in the construction industry because it turns out the construction workers i think we 've known for a while have the highest suicide rate of anybody. And mostly they work six day weeks and o- long overtime, et cetera. Mm. And there's a move back to cut them back to a normal five day week and normal mm. hours. and Shock, horror. Um, yeah, but uh, and the, some, the bosses are uh, a bit upset about that because it, you know, oh, yeah. take it take them be. longer to finish the mm. construction. So that's real bad luck like for them.
2: Mm. Um, mm. Few,
0: few, I mean, there's always plenty of, although I reckon there's a shortage of tradespeople, but nonetheless, there's probably always someone to replace the suicide worker.
2: Well, yes, indeed,
0: indeed, mm. yes. No, okay. Look, we'll take a quick break, come back and talk to Mark about whatever he wants to talk about, really.
1: <laughs> Tune in to Power From The Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People With Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019.
3: You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. Six
1: years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's
3: good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and... Um, you don't really get to do this much. It brings us all together.
2: Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just
1: want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for giving us the opportunity to morning. speak on it.
2: The, the bigger the calling, make mm-hmm. your commitment and watch things unfold. And
1: you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well online at any time. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars.
3: But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. As prisoners. Well, we,
2: we can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family.
1: If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 0394198377.
2: wait <laughs>
0: Okay, Mark, uh, you've come in. I just want to though. there's just been something handed to me pointing out that for the past week or so, somewhere, in the, this is actually dated October, but nonetheless, we've got it now. Um, the Victoria Police and the Defence Force had joint exercises about how to respond to domestic security incidents, and they practiced down in the Latrobe Valley at the Yang Power Station. But the, when you're bringing the, the military now into this as well, it's getting pretty frightening. We might... Mm. Follow that up and do some more work on it.
1: And what do they I mean by domestic?
0: Exactly. Well, yeah. exactly. well this, exactly. this is my concern. Um, Mark, but, yeah, why are you here today? Come on. Well, <laughs>
2: let's, let's, that can be the segue into the conversation. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> this is one of my many concerns. But I feel as though, you know, as the climate emergency progresses and as more and more people wake up to the seriousness of the situation we're facing, we're going to see protests much larger than the ones we saw in the Spring Rebellion with Extinction Rebellion. And the government must, must know this. Mm. And the pathway that's happening is exactly what I anticipated that the, the, the police will become increasingly militarized, and um, our freedoms are going to be curtailed, and we're going to move closer towards a, a fascist or some form of fascist society. I feel as though we're already on that path. And this is what worries me. I feel as though neoliberalism. The, the, the people who designed and carry out neoliberalism that you know those people are going to take us into another ism but it will be it will be a, a sort of a semi kind of fascist kind of society and that's what we need to work towards preventing from happening we need to get out there and let people know that there is another way that we can create another type of society that doesn't mean going further to the right and allowing those people who got us into the mess that we're in now to design as uh, another kind of society which is going to be, in, in many ways, much, much worse than it is now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, right. Cheerful start. That's a mm. cheerful start. Do, yeah. you, uh, do you want to develop on that, how we do that then? How do we get to that sort of society? Well,
2: yeah, well, quite. Well, we, we, we need well, to stop I stopped having do...
0: a sip of tea then, didn't I? alright.
2: <laughs> oh, <it's> all right. <laughs> so I've got more, more to come. <laughs> we need to keep... So as well as protests, we need to keep having those, those conversations and we need to get out and talk to people about, the kind of world that we can create like so um extinction rebellion talk about citizens assemblies as a way of getting people together to come up with ideas and share ideas and get knowledge from the best people in the area people knowledge in their field and and come up with solutions via citizens assemblies so a grassroots localized based democracy and i think the 2020s is going to be a time of intense change, intense crisis, but also great opportunity because we're in late stage capitalism now. This, this, this society we're in is going to crumble and we need to make sure that some, something better comes out of it or at least die and trying to do it you know so um mm. yeah so the conversation cafe citizens assemble is, but but creating an activism that that peels the onion back a layer into the way we behave and interact yeah, with each
0: other that's Right, I mean, because um it's coming up next year or there's going to be a celebration for the 50th anniversary of the vietnam moratorium the first moratorium and and that built up from an an atmosphere in Australia where people who opposed the war were considered to be traitors in 1965 Mm. to Mm. mass anti-war movement by 70, 71, 72. Mm. And... um, and that built up because they developed local groups, and there yes. were local peace groups all over the place mm. who actually came together for the moratorium, but they met separately and they were, they were building up in local communities, and that's how it built up. Yes, the, ex- exactly. You know. And
2: look how quickly Extinction mm. Rebellion has grown in the space of a year. It started in, in, in well, the town where I was born in, in England, in, in Stroud, a small town in mm. England, and, and grew to be a big global movement within le- less than 12 months because it it really is a decentralised sort of localised base. The downside of that is, of course, there's not much control in terms of people doing crazy things in the name of Extinction Rebellion, which is why a couple of their protests have been controversial and have got people offside. Some people with ideologies are coming into Extinction Rebellion and trying to sort of make it about their ideology when Extinction Rebellion should always be about creating policies and ideas from the grassroots up via citizens' assemblies. Um, But that's inevitable. That will happen because that's the downside of of a decentralised group. Mm. And I think people Mm. need to realise that with Extinction Rebellion. It is going to be imperfect. There are going to be people who do crazy things. It's the nature of the human race. It's the nature of a big movement. And it's important that we need to call that out and, and call Extinction Rebellion to account. But we also need to suck it up a bit and say, yeah, people are going to do some crazy things. But it doesn't mean to say that the movement is, is completely bad. You know? mm. We need to look at the bigger picture here, which is we are in a major, major emergency.
0: Mm. It
2: seems yeah. good. It's hyping me up. Well, <laughs> just,
0: well this, this will cheer you up no end as well. There's a new book coming out about climate yeah. change. Which, um, and there's a letter urging people to donate to help it come out. Uh, from John Roskam, the Executive Director of the Institute of Public Affairs.
2: Um, and and
0: they've got a new book coming out. and You can donate, donate either 100, 200, 400, 1,000 or other, and it's called Climate Change the Facts 2020. Um, it should, should be a great read. Um, and he's written a letter to all their members asking for help, and he's got a covering letter from... Um, Peter Ridd, the, um, the Queensland academic who um, was in the news because he, he denied climate change and lost his job and went to the court and won, won the case, and he's now the hero of the Institute. He's written a covering letter which sort of keeps quoting what, what John says as well. And if you read the, the language of the letter, then the book should be a treat because the language of the letter is so puerile, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's like writing to three-year-olds. Mm. Um, but... Um, uh, Jennifer Marahasi, her name is Dr. Jennifer Marahasi, Senior Fellow at the Institute of Public Affairs, has... Um, which just reminded me, I didn't say something earlier in the show. Uh, Senior Fellow at the Institute of Public Affairs um, has edited it, and there's a number of writers, including Peter Ridd himself, and Peter calls her brilliant, so it should be a great read for you. Um, but um, he actually, he actually says... Um, that um, we have to um, science has to be allowed to look at all sorts of things and um, he says despite all the obstacles we, we face I'm incredibly optimistic about the future of science because to ask and inquire and wonder why things are the way they are is a fundamental part of the human condition, well it's that very point that he's denying isn't it? Exactly,
2: yeah <laughs> this is why we need to have more grassroots workshops conversation cafes, citizens assemblies so that we can teach people to, th- to to think critically and to see through this, this kind of thing, and to let other people say, "Well, hang on a minute, let's let's completely deconstruct this and um, show another view, another perspective um, mm. because there well, are a lot of people with power, invested interests and money whose interest it is to to push this their ideologies, and they, will, they, will, they don't care. The power of ideology is so strong, people would wipe the entire planet out rather than change their perspective. I yeah, mean, that yeah is the if it costs money, ecology. it's
0: worth wiping it out anyway. That's, that's <laughs> what they really... That's literally what they're saying. I mean, they don't, they don't put in those terms, but if you mm. take it down to its literal meaning, that's what they're saying. Yeah. I didn't... Yeah, but I got diverted obviously at the start of the show, and that reminded me as I read that out. Uh, Dr Kate Shaw from Melbourne, she's our next guest today. Mm. I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, and she's going to talk about housing and planning issues. Mm. So we'll get onto that shortly, in fact, yeah. Okay, keep going. All uh, I just raise with you then on that on that point, uh, it's come out in the last couple of days. Um, the um, major fossil fuel producing countries, including Australia, are, are on track to mine and drill far more coal, oil, and gas than can be burned if governments across the world plan to keep their pledge to limit climate change, according to a new United Nations report. And this. This includes uh, input from people at researchers at Cambridge and Melbourne, here, mm. uh, universities. Um, countries plan to produce 150% more coal in 2030 than would be consistent with limiting warming to two degrees, and 280% more than would be consistent with limiting warming to one and a half degrees, it says. Other major international reports have focused on country-specific, etc. But, you know, it's, it's a frightening report that and, a, and, a, and a, Australia comes under very severe criticism in the report because of the fact that we're doing virtually nothing.
2: Yeah, and there's a chance that we, you know, other countries could take trade away from Australia mm-hmm. in due course because of our inaction on climate change. But certainly we're showing a massive lack of innovation. The rest of the world are starting to innovate Nowhere near fast enough, um, but we won't go there. But other countries are starting to, to think outside the box, whereas Australia continues to put all of its eggs in one basket in terms of pulling stuff out of the ground, basically rapidly growing the population as a way of economic growth. And it's, it's, it's a model that, that has to change, and it's obviously not going to change under this government because it's a very ideological government um, which goes back to the idea that we really need to sort of um, take re, retake democracy, so to speak, because I feel as though um, the current political system is 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 so influenced by the corporations, by the one percent, by the development lobby, but well, Clive Palmer, for example, can influence elections um, so yeah we, we need a whole new a whole new approach. Um, and it does have to be grassroots, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. And,
0: and related, another report come out in, in the Lancet, the British medical magazine, which says as urban populations surge around the world, cities will struggle to keep residents safe from fast-growing heat risks, turbocharged by climate change. Um, and so you know, then it goes on yeah. again. It points out we know about how you know cities can be heat islands, but. Yeah, well, this they're is saying a, this is this going is to big get worse thing. and worse.
2: Yeah, this is the thing. When you increase densities, you, you, you lose a lot of green space. But there are more radical ways of increasing densities as well. I mean, I, I live in a, in, a eight, in a house with eight people. Um, it was originally a two-bedroomed house um, built in the 1930s on a large quarter-acre block. Um, but it has a sort of a granny flat outhouse. It has two kitchens. It, it houses eight people quite comfortably. It could possibly house more. Um, but we still have the garden and we have an amazing garden and we have bees and birds. And it, so it, it it doesn't add to the heat island effect. Yet we've got eight people living in a space that might originally have only housed two. And this is what the, the, the founder of co-founder of Permaculture, David Hongren, talks about with retro suburbia, that we've really got to look at other ways of increasing densities rather than pulling down perfectly decent, solid houses, robust houses, putting them into landfill and then pouring huge amounts of of carbon-intensive concrete to build apartment blocks that have a shelf life of only 40 or 50 years and
1: require air conditioning in the summer and heating in the winter because they're so badly designed because
2: they're so badly designed and then of course it raises house prices because the very nature of up zoning land is that it pushes prices up pushes people on lower incomes further out to the outer suburbs uh, which has its own environmental impacts
1: from driving and the lack of public transport Yeah. yeah
2: so um we need a town planning rebellion um, yeah. and, and this is going back to the whole localized um, idea of, of, of movements. It's like it's great that we have Extinction Rebellion, but we also need a lot of other movements to feed into Extinction Rebellion as well. So people who are passionate about town planning, for example, and that's such a critical issue with climate change. And it's deep. Mm-hmm. It's the the sort of the 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 capitalist kind of discourse is very much about clean energy which is which is great but it's kind of oh we can continue with a growthist capitalist development-led society if only we all have solar panels Mm. you know and it's actually clean energy is important but it's only the thin end of a very large wedge and actually there are some more fundamental issues we've got to we've got to get our heads around first You know, we're going
0: we'll, to have to wind this up because we've got to go to Kate Shaw sure, But sure. you've got a song you wanted to play, didn't Oh you?
2: yes, so we have um, I've, I've been working with a band called Shock Octopus For a fundraiser for Extinction Rebellion It's an anthem for the times It's called No Easy Way Down It's a song about polar bears in the Arctic Circle And all money goes to Extinction Rebellion And you can get it through Bandcamp And the band is Shock Octopus And this is its debut on the radio Right hmm.
3: Ain't none
0: righty and well on the line we've got Kate Shaw, Kate, a geographer, of course, at Melbourne, as I said earlier, and uh, we're going to talk about some planning and other issues. Uh, Kate, though, just it, it turns out that overnight we've had this report uh, about rent rent affordability in Australia, uh, which shows that it's pretty bad, that anyone, the report says anyone on the Dole, even pensioners, um, simply can't afford the private rental market here. So we're, we're back to the old story, aren't we? Yeah, well...
3: It's a re- it's relief
0: that we've got an official report telling us what we all knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, which tells us what we probably knew anyway in the first place. But nonetheless, it's uh, it's out there now. But wh- what's the? I mean, again, I heard um, one of the authors of the report on the ABC this morning saying that you know what it needs is that is development industry to get more involved and for community housing groups to buy up more. But Again, we're relying on the private sector there. Um, As we keep saying, surely the the obvious answer is more public money on on publicly owned public housing.
3: Yeah, of course it is. Um, It's interesting, isn't it, just how repeatedly this trope gets um, wheeled out that we just have to build more housing. But if we increase supply, then the laws of supply and demand will mean that there will be... So much more housing available that that rents will necessarily and prices will necessarily come down. Um, I mean, the UDIA, the, the, the Urban Development Institute of Australia, and the HIA have been saying this for what two decades at least. Mm-hmm. Um, we've added what at least one hundred thousand apartments to inner Melbourne um, in, in that time, um, and. Of course, rents have demonstrably gone up. Not mm. down. it hasn't made it hasn't made any difference whatsoever. Um, it, it's interesting. I was in um, Canada earlier this earlier this year, uh, and the minister for housing in British Columbia, um, the the province that um, has Vancouver as its capital, was actually was actually said in a public meeting about this question. Housing supply is not the problem. It's the right kind of supply that is the problem. Mm.
2: It's not rocket science, is it? No,
3: it's not. Um, so, of course, the debate there, because you know, Canada has a lot of very similar um, um, foundations of uh, in Australia in, 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 yeah, in many ways. The it's, it's comparisons go very deep. Um, and the relationship... Uh, but certainly in housing, um, the, the, the issues are, are exactly the same. Um, there are prices being driven up mainly by um, increased local and um, overseas demand for investment properties. Mm. Uh, and Vancouver, in particular, has a lot of investment apartments that are, um, that are quite condos that are quite clearly empty. For you know, a large part of the time, um, and so the discussion there is is firmly fixed now on what kind of supply do we need to be creating? It's not about build more, but build the right kind.
1: And um, and what know. what what do they identify as the right kind? And is it would it be the same for Melbourne? Because they're they're very similar cities in a way, but Vancouver's population is much smaller than Melbourne, isn't it?
3: Uh, well, it's three million. Alright. Oh, um, Okay. Um. The, the the greater you know the greater metropolitan right. yeah
1: Vancouver yeah
3: um uh what kind of supply well I mean, it, it, uh, socials they they the Canadians talk about social housing yeah um so they do they do have state funded housing and they have a whole lot of different kinds of um community housing models and cooperative uh, mainly,
1: housing housing cooperatives but lots
3: of lots of ops. they yep. also have um, community housing associations that are associated with the with the city. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean the the, the focus is now, now, now that um, British Columbia has a has a um, a left government, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that Trudeau is is, um, is hanging on means that um, there's a great deal more public money going into housing, uh, which under the Harper years, uh, of course, federally, um, conservative um, government. Um,
0: didn't happen Mm. yeah Uh, and just uh, back here with the sort of housing we, we need but not getting perhaps a story recently, Plenary Group, Qualitas and Capella Capital are competing in a Victorian housing tender worth up to an estimated $400 million that would allow commercial build-to-rent housing to be built alongside state-owned social housing on public land. The three are part of a consortia that have submitted preliminary bids to redevelop housing on three existing public housing estates in Flemington, Paran and Brighton. follows an earlier deal announced in March with developer MAB and housing provider Housing First to redevelop develop Three estates in North Melbourne, Northcote, and Preston, and the, the list okay. of the consortia shows each one also has a one has Mission Australia and one has HCL. These their, their you know their community or social housing mm-hmm. providers. Um, but again, it's all this money which is in being involved with the public sector when surely directly spending it on public housing is, is again it just just beats me all the time, Kate. Why we can't see that?
3: Mm-hmm. Even the language is interesting, isn't it? I mean, they, we, we, the government just does not talk about public housing
0: anymore. Mm-hmm. No. It's
3: all social housing. Um, and, and by that, of course, what they mean is non government owned.
1: Um, mm.
3: uh, and these stock transfers um, are, are um, ha- ha- happening at pace. In fact, it, it, it would appear that in, at Northcott and more than more um all of the publicly owned stock that is being demolished and replaced is going to be managed by a housing association um, or um, the, 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 the I, I, I think the title transferred, uh, if not the management transferred. Uh, I mean, the, the, the state government is very clearly in the um, business of, of, of getting out of housing provision and mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. kind of service.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the same time, as recently it announced, it wants to get rid of lots more public public land all over the place, um, yeah. much much of which again are an ideal spots for public housing, like the the private development I keep talking about near me at Jules Station. I mean, an ideal spot on railway land for public housing, yeah. and it's total private development. Yeah,
3: absolutely, um, and not not. <clears throat> I mean, there, there was a. I'm sure you heard there was a. Um, I think Lydia Thorpe has been talking about it a lot. The uh, the, the, the question of selling public land at the, at the time when that government is talking about negotiating some kind of treaty, um, mm. uh, and while those discussions are going on, there really ought to be no public land sales whatsoever. Um, Absolutely. And, and 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 if we are if we are going to talk uh, uh, identify land surplus to public and in- <laughs> indigenous. Um, use requirements, then yes, of course, why are we not building public housing? Living? The thing that flabbergasts me is that we have um, international financial bodies like the IMF and the World Bank now calling for greater expenditure um, on, from, from 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 neoliberal government around the world, actually, because the impacts of small government and low spending and are now well and truly being felt. So the Australian government and state government are being exhorted to spend more on public infrastructure. Um, Julie Lawson, who some of you would know from, from way back, um, who does occasional work for URI I'm not that we can blame for that, but uh, she does some very e- just, e- just explain
0: who is the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, just for so yeah. people really don't know, yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which tends to focus on uh more and more contortions and 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 sort of twisted permutations of 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 private funding for public housing. That's what they do. Uh, you know we get into funding gaps, and we get into all of these it, it, it becomes more and more arcane and complicated because the work that a does is very much dictated by what the government is prepared to to countenance uh so it 's not mm. independent but genuine i don't think mm. um and uh, and 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 it 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 elides the basic fundamentals that it's not that complicated. <laughs> mm provide more public housing, you just fund it. Uh, Anyway um, Mm. Julie's Julie's work um, her most recent work has argued for public housing to be seen as infrastructure um, as as social infrastructure like Mm. transport and schools and health and roads and and everything else Um, and she says why are we not treating um, public housing as the same kind of um, you know, in, in in that category, that then would uh, not only justify massive outlays um, from the state government that would benefit the state and and, and the federal government in all sorts of ways um, that we can measure um, qualitatively mm. uh, from people having housing and not and, and not being on the streets and not using services very heavily, mm. um, but but. Uh, it, it, would, it would also allow housing to be seen as a necessity rather than a, a welfare
0: mm. Mm. Um, or a right. In fact,
3: mm. yeah. yes, indeed, indeed. You... Um, but but it, but it's, it, it's ignored. Now it's interesting. We were, I was at a forum some time ago when Julie was presenting the findings of her work. And there was a panel of people from largely the community housing sector. Um, And they just ignored her her fundamental point Mm. Uh, and kept on bringing it back to community housing provision, of course, because community housing providers are invested in their own way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a very difficult um, argument to make. I mean, basically... We have 5% of the population in public housing, uh, 95 in the private market and I guess about 5% of the people care.
1: Yeah. Do you think that a big part of the reason that these ideas are ignored is because housing is actually in this current economy functions as an investment for people rather than uh, like a right or a, a you know a, a, an infrastructure issue, if you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I think th- those two questions are para- issues are parallel. Mm. You know, that I, don't, I don't think that governments treat housing as something that they – public housing as something that they don't want to be involved in because private housing can be seen as a commodity. But obviously those two positions are, are, are highly compatible.
1: Right. Um, why why yeah, do you I, think I, that they don't want to be involved in it? I
3: think it is a a, a hangover of neoliberal Uh ideology that that was instituted Mm. in Australia in the late 80s and early 90s, and no government has invested substantially Mm. in public housing since then. And and the infrastructure
0: debate raises that same problem that caused us to formed the People's Committee for Melbourne all those years ago, Kate, in response to the urban, the corporate cowboys in the Committee for Melbourne running planning virtually in this seat. Because the, the calls for infrastructure are coming from the private sector and they want infrastructure that's going to make money for them, but w- which won't that's necessarily right. be infrastructure that's, that's the best spending in terms of what community needs. Like They wouldn't see public housing as profitable infrastructure for them, so you won't get any. And so we've still got the corporate cowboys running planning in many ways
3: that's right um, that, that's that's right and, and and of course that's the argument to maintain um, state involvement um, I mean particularly in in the, in the like the build to rent model I mean there, there is an argument for build to rent uh, when ne- we need to uh, I think have a very wide range of affordable housing types and build to rent could be one of those if
0: it were built without a private profit motive if it were built by an estate. And we still don't know, of course. I mean, an article A.V. Jennings is going to redevelop the Grand Place estate in Brunswick, for instance, and then another private housing group will take over, the the public sector or a community group will take over. Uh, But we have no idea what A.V. Jennings is paying for that land, do we, as usual?
3: Yeah, (laughs) and we never will find out. Um, I mean, uh, and again, this is another scandal Um, that that uh, that we never actually know what the economic arrangements are between the private and public sector in these kinds of uh, relationships.
0: We can lay odds the private sector won't lose.
3: We can absolutely lay odds that they won't lose. The point of it, Um, even 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 though, of course, the housing is. much less affordable. I mean, one of the problems, uh, I think, there is structural disconnects, and, and this is something that's starting to interest me more and more. I mean, firstly, we've got most of the funding for housing, such as it is, coming from the Commonwealth, um, but it's up to the states to implement mm-hmm. housing construction. So there's a, you know, there's a a political difficulty there. Then within the state level, um, the housing ministry has to apply for funds. They don't have a recurrent budget like every other Mm. infrastructure um, portfolio does. This is is, is another thing coming back to this idea that we need to think about housing as, as infrastructure. So... That, so so, so the Minister for Housing, Dick Wynn, has to go to the Treasurer to, empower, to request funds for uh, whatever the state does. Then you've got the sort of research element that is happening within the Department of Housing, such as it is, and there is some decent research going on there, but the most important research is not allowed to inform... Treasury policy. So, do you know, we've got all of these mm. disconnects that mean that the research is not allowed to inform the policy of funding that then has to be ha, ha, had its case made for it by the state to the Commonwealth. Uh, so, there's this deeply problematic, um, yeah.
0: The biggest problem at the moment, Katie, is we're out of time. But I, I hope we did what we said yesterday, that we've cheered people up no end. Um, but look, we will follow up shortly, early in the new year. We won't, we won't wait so long next time because there's plenty here to keep working on. But a, a listener, Troy, has phoned in and says, Kevin and Kate wanted to make sure you're aware that on the Victorian Parliament website there is currently an opportunity to make submissions to an inquiry into homelessness in Victoria if yeah. you can announce it, et cetera. So that's the people do go to that. They can make submissions on homelessness. So that's good news. Yeah,
3: there's actually also a, uh, a consultation on um, um, uh, amendments to the, uh, to, to, the Re- to the Residential Tenancies Act. That's right. We talked, um, about, and, we talked and, about that and last
0: and week on the program, actually, with, with Shane McGrath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah. Um, It's always good to keep an eye. Um right. And look, in, Dick Dick Quinn says, to, says says to us, make us do it. Uh, and what he means by that is generate not the arguments, um, but mm. the support yeah. for, um, for 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 you know real structural change. So I think that comes back to what Mark is talking about, and what you know what you've been talking about this morning, mm. I mean, mm. ways of organising.
0: Yep. Okay. And that's it. So speaking of organising, also before we go, just reminding people that tomorrow at twelve at Parliament is that. Um, Stand Up for Nature rally. Uh-huh. We interviewed Mark Raquel about a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So that's uh, yep. tomorrow at 12. We do urge people to get there because, uh, as Mark would say, i sure Mark, you'd, you'd say, um, standing up for nature is critical at this stage in terms of climate change and what's happening in the world.
2: Absolutely critical,
0: yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Mark, for coming in today. Thank, thank you, you, Kate, for making yourself available. Thanks, Kate. And um, we'll, we'll t- Thanks. we will talk to you earlier in the new... We start back in February, but we'll talk to you early in the new year, Kate, and follow this up. Thanks a lot.
1: All right, we'll go out with a song by Baker Boy. I'm a proud black young boy with a killer flow. Listen to the listen to it blow. the way